Welcome to Healing Wisdom, a Thursday morning talk show featuring guests sharing their stories and knowledge. We discuss the healing aspects of the arts, metaphysics, social justice, and adventure through all types of terrain. So join me, Pandora Peoples, here on WOMR 92.1 FM in Provincetown and WFMR 91.3 FM in Orleans. We're streaming worldwide at WOMR.org. Today we talk about ageism, invisibility, and relevancy, housing issues on Cape Cod, and we thrive. I caught up with Scott Fitzmaurice, founder and executive director of We Thrive. He is a professional development trainer, personal life coach, and develops and manages properties. He's worked in the nonprofit sector for 30 years. How important is it for folks to feel like part of a community, to feel purposeful and relevant? And feeling like you're part of something. I think that it's easy as we get um, as we get older in life to you know, not have as much of a meaningful role. You know, my, my mom and I and my friend Melissa Weidman had worked on this uh, whole curriculum around ageism called Being Relevant, which was really the whole idea that, you know, it, uh, as we get, we get to be older, uh, sometimes uh, it's not as simple a path realizing how relevant we are, so uh, so making that more possible. Well-intending people tend to look at someone who's older and say, oh, they're so cute, you know, if they remind them of their parents or whatever, you know, and it's it's a tad patronizing, even though it's well-meaning. And I think what happens is that um, folks actually really feel like they become invisible. And then, you know, a lot of times, I mean, I've done a lot of work advocating in the healthcare system, folks will... Uh, you know, come in and they'll be like, hi, how are you? And they'll raise their voice and turn their head, you know, like you would do with a kid. Um, or they won't really listen to the person that's, you know, receiving care. They, they don't really listen to them because of the ageism. And it's just, um, there was a woman who made this amazing quote. She said, ageism is everywhere. It's invisible. It's like gravity, but it's everywhere. And what happens is it sort of takes away a person's ability to be taken seriously. Uh, ageism and a term we never use, adultism, are the same thing on different, different ends of the age spectrum. So ageism is for older folks and adultism is when, you know, you see those people on Main Street maybe sitting on a curb and you're like, oh, what are they doing there? Or or where you don't think that someone's able to make decisions about whether to go to college or whether to take a year off or, you know, trusting people's judgment. So I think they're very similar. The challenge with ageism is just that it really affects people in so many ways. Um, people's entire you know, savings disappears a lot of times with their, their children making decisions that benefit the children. Um, there's, there's a lot of things, there's a whole topic on that. But I think the most important thing is to be able to pause, take time, connect with people, say hello, and just not be patronizing. But I always imagine that person is my age when I talk to them and, and just talk to them exactly the same, whether they're 13 or whether they're 100. What is deficit identity and what are the manifestations of it? Absolutely. I'd be happy to talk about deficit identity. So it's just a concept that I use. I think that so many of us uh, have for years probably carried around the knowledge that maybe there's a couple things we're not too good at. And uh, as professionals in the world, sometimes those things are not ideal for people to know, like maybe you're not good at filing or maybe uh, paperwork is tough or invoicing if you run a company. Um, And so there are things that we know that we're not really good at, but those things aren't. So for example, it's a thing that isn't, yet we focus on it instead of the things that we are good at. And, um, you know, I am a, a life coach and for years I've always said that if we just focus on what our two greatest strengths are and our two greatest passions and we funnel everything through that, we can get extraordinary things done, especially with the shared leadership model if we combine with like a and other people that have those other skill sets, then it's incredible. Instead of always trying to do the things we aren't good at. But deficit identity might just be that, oh, gee, 
uh, I'm a gay man, or perhaps if I were a person of color or um, a person that doesn't have much money or doesn't have transportation, or these are all deficit identities. And our society has sort of um, stated them and reinforced them in a way, whether consciously or unconsciously, that has sort of made us think that you know, we're less than in some ways for some things. Women deal with this a lot for so many reasons, you know, being objectified, um, how you present, you know, are you feminine enough, not too feminine, like can you be strong, speaking up when you want to, not speaking up too much, all these rules that men don't have to always adhere to, you know? So I think understanding deficit identity is just an illusion and, um, and just the reality of abundance. And so there's also the illusion of scarcity, which is the idea that we don't have enough around to solve the problems we have. And that's an illusion. That's called the illusion of scarcity. Not my term, it's a term used widely. Um, but the reality of abundance is, is pretty incredible. It means like issues like housing, which we'll talk about in a bit, or homes, we can redefine and that we may actually have the resources we need to resolve them, which is just incredible. What are some of the mythologies around housing scarcity and what are your innovative new models and can you talk about the language that you use basically what i would ask people listening is to just imagine that you're going to dry erase the board that you have and i'm sure that's like a, a 20th century reference but anyway i'm going to dry erase that whiteboard and um i want you to imagine that everything you've thought about the idea of like housing or homelessness or living places all that stuff that just kind of put that aside for a minute okay that 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 has been a thing it's been a reality but it's just not the reality that i see at this moment and i'd like to if people would indulge me to just allow folks maybe to see something just a little bit different that is maybe kind of exciting and positive and um so <clears throat> you know i'm sort of the idea person and for some reason people have sort of told me that I tend to be able to think of real plausible ideas, but I'm not the person that implements them all. I need a lot of other folks to say, wow, we're going to go do this, you know, and I can help with ideas. I tend to come up with the ideas that work and and having other people who want to work with that is really great. Um, and a friend of mine said that the reason that housing stuff hasn't happened is because um, we haven't been able to sort of get used to we're so in business mode we haven't been able to forget about self-interest like entirely for just a moment and if we could do that just for like a, a few minutes then we'd actually all be able to come together and make some extraordinary things come together that would actually in the end be fairly profitable and it's just that we're not able to look at it that way so i've found that when we do some pretty incredible things are happening so first of all around language i use the term homes I don't use the term housing at all. There's a lot of reasons for that, but that word's really heavy. Um, I use the term applicants. I don't use the term homeless or folks with inconsistent housing, which I use in a desperate moment when I have to use something for the masses. <laughs> I try to use applicants because we have homes and we have applicants, really simple. Um, I don't use the term affordable for so many reasons because it just shuts out a lot of people that you know have certain perceptions and experiences with that word. I use the word attainable. Attainable means if you're working two jobs and you're working really hard, I want to try to help you make sure you've got some place to live. And um, and so I think that when we just alone just use a different language, it's really, it's a completely different conversation. We have homes, we have applicants, and they're attainable. And what we have now is sort of uh, the illusion that we don't have enough housing. And I'll say that again with the illusion that we don't have enough housing. And that may sound really out there, but in reality, we don't have, um, we don't have like a, a housing problem so much as we have an empty building problem. So all across Cape Cod, there are 
I estimate, and my numbers may be wrong, but I estimate there are 10,000 uh, potential homes that are not being used. And I'm not, ta I'm not talking about the stuff like second homes. I, I want us all to be in this conversation. I don't want anyone to feel shut out or vilified. I, I just there are buildings that aren't being used that either are commercial or maybe used to be restaurants or whatever that are just there every block. And once you hear me say this, you're going to see them all the time if you don't already, everybody listening. And, and going by those properties, you realize that most of them end up rotting into the ground. And I know this because I tried to buy some like 30 years ago to create the youth center and they all rotted in the ground. They're all vacant lots now. But what if we came together and we found ways to get those buildings, which a lot of them are lost in probate without heirs, and just to get without shutting out like people that have um, heritage of wealth, like somehow without shutting them out, able to just get a hold of those buildings and utilize them. Uh, commercial buildings could have showers added. Um, there's a, you know, such a great opportunity. So one of the things we have going on is we have essentially a problem of no inventory. And when I say we have no inventory, I, I need folks to really understand that. I mean, there's no inventory. I mean, there actually isn't any. And so uh, folks don't really need, most single people don't really need an apartment and they don't really need a house. What they need is actually a room with a private bathroom. And that's a product we haven't focused on making, but it's pretty easy to take a house that's maybe five bedrooms and add some bathrooms and maybe a couple more doors coming in for some private entrances. And that's enough if we get people in for anywhere between 750 to 1200 per person based on double, triple or more occupancy, the formula really works. So that's my formula. And I have this idea that, gee, what if we as towns found a way to give people um, a break on their taxes, let's say 50%, if they're willing to stay in this formula. Like, wouldn't that be a really easy way to sort of incentivize people? I mean, think what people would do to not pay half their taxes. They'd probably do you know, some pretty cool things. So one is that the inventory is out there. There are different ways to get the product. Two, there are commercial buildings that are all over that have just closed in the last couple of years, real estate offices, law offices that used to be houses and people drive by them. But I don't think a lot of people think about going and applying to rent them. But, you know, I would I'd say that we don't really want commercial buildings coming into residential areas that messes up our zoning. But I don't see as much of a problem with residential coming into commercial. I think that's something that most of us in the different towns, you know, can sort of agree on and believe in. People do not realize that in the in in hospitals in um, you know in areas not too far from us there are the the head nurses who I'm friends with they tell me that um, you know there are one fifth of the staff that are often needed so it's it's challenging you know and they don't want to cause problems but they're exhausted and they're ready to have a nervous breakdown so that's something we really have to address and it's it's from the wealth the wealth goal obviously the hospitals but they have to really sort of rethink that stuff. Can you talk about your housing model? Two, two things. Like one is that, you know, we have so many elders that have a room in their house or a car in their driveway. They don't drive. And a lot of people that don't have cars, you know, if we had someone that were able, was really willing to sort of manage that because housing laws in, in Massachusetts are really tough. They're really, I do find that, you know, a lot of good people on the Cape that are landlords or they're involved in all this, that they, they just haven't really taken a moment to think about that. Like, what would it be like if you work in half your month to pay your rent? Can you talk about the Suicide Prevention Coalition? Just a little bit about, you know, I'm involved in the Cape and Island Suicide um, Coalition and, uh, you know, I did a speak out with Sharon Kindness, which is a great group doing nice work on the Cape and Falmouth last week. And, and you know, I, I think about, you know, anxiety, depression and suicide and all that stuff, you know, and we, we, we have all the tools we need to prevent suicides. We talk about them so they don't happen. And, and, and we're not always successful, but the more we talk about them, the fewer there are. And, and I think that one of the things that's so important, Pandora, as you and I talked about earlier, is that... 
if if what you have to do is really hard, then then somehow you can do it. But if what you have to do is impossible, then then it creates all these problems. And and so right now I talk about the triangle of resources, car, job, and home. So, you know, you've got your job, you've got your car, hopefully you need a car, you can't really do bus on Cape, it's too hard. And and you got your home. And and those three things together um, just don't match anymore. So your income's gone up a bit, but housing's gone up so much and car expenses gone up. So it, it makes it so that if folks get, get those three things put together, if they lose any one of those things in three months, let's say like their car breaks out or whatever, and they don't have like family support or, or another resource, they lose all three of those within three months. And that's, that's why we try to help. So at Thrive, we do some pretty amazing things, you know, just not like our ego here, but we just do things that have an amazing impact. Like, you know, we'll write a check, fix someone's car, or um, we help someone with their rent or, you know, different things like that. So I think it, it is about the idea that we can do this together, but the illusion of, so the reality of abundance is very simply that we have enough if we come together for us to have plenty in this whole planet to do everything we need to do. We just, we're just not using it right. But let's just think of the Cape and Islands region. We could go out and, and I think, you know, notice the houses in your area. There are people that know how to get these building off back taxes. And let's, let's try to see who could come together to do more of these. I give, I give credit to, um, you know, Davier and Julian Sear and other folks in, in the political arena who are, are open to these topics and talking about these things. And also the, the people on the town level and stuff. But there is something called 40A I want to mention. <laughs> 40A is one of the coolest things, all right? So 40A is essentially, most people know 40B, but 40A basically means that if you have an apartment or any part of your house that you've rented, and let's say you've rented it for 10 years, then it actually is legal. And so it becomes legal sort of retroactively. You just need to let the city know, I've been renting this, um, you send them an affidavit, and then they're able to stamp it. The reason I really like this tool is it allows towns who are, town government that largely is comprised of people who are just getting by and, and barely in a rental, uh, you know, gives people working town government a tool to be able to say, okay, this apartment's here, obviously we want it to be safe, but we are recognizing it now and your house is, a, is illegal to family then or whatever. Um, and so that's very important because that's increasing the number of units and the number of inventory and people don't seem to really know about this at all, but it is helpful. And I, I know some folks that have been able to utilize this to, to make, um, you know, units. Because I do I do hear once in a while you hear that the, the town has told someone they have to rip out a unit because it's not legal. And they just, all, sometimes people don't know that they had this tool at their disposal. They could say, oh, actually we can overlook that based on 40A and, and we can approve that. And my big thing is just that making sure someone can live there. We talk about, there's so much focus on like building affordable housing. And I, I always hit all those words, you know, and first of all, like 80, 80% when new developments go in, 80% should be attainable. We shouldn't be building new housing. We cannot give up any trees on this planet. We can't. And we've got these buildings that are beautiful. You know, in New Zealand, they don't tear anything down. They take it apart. They reuse it. It's, it's required because they're so isolated. We, we need to really start using these buildings, but there are a lot of them out there. And um, I just think that if we can reuse what we have, we're honoring the heritage and the history of whoever that person is that took care of that house back when no one had any money. You know, I mean, in the 70s, nobody had any money. I mean, people just got by. And, um, you know, if we can take those houses that we're driving by every day that the porches are collapsing on or just that are in the woods and no one sees and, and bring them back, we're doing incredible honor to people from the great generation, you know, to care of these properties, plus the historic architecture. This is Healing Wisdom on WOMR. 
If you're just joining us now, we're speaking with Scott Fitzmaurice, Executive Director and Founder of We Thrive, the LGBTQ and Ally Community Center of Cape Cod and Islands Region. Scott is a professional development trainer, personal life coach, and develops and manages properties. Scott, you grew up in Bourne. You attended the University of New Hampshire in UC Santa Cruz, where you studied social work and plant science, and you were a chemical-free farmer for many years. Do you want to talk a little bit about your background and how you got into nonprofit work? A little bit about me is um, I didn't realize that like my life path number is five, so um, change is one of those things that will always be in my life. I didn't really know much about life paths, but I encourage people when they're in school and they're younger to learn about their life paths, to also go through your ancestry and figure out what your ancestors did because you probably have some of their skills. And I think that'd be a great exercise for schools to do, you know. Yeah, so I went to school for uh, agriculture. I, I was probably four or five, and I told my mom I was going to grow up and I was going to grow Christmas trees and have greenhouses. And uh, yeah, I just kind of knew that was going to happen. And so um, then I later realized I'd have to cut the Christmas trees down, and the uh, the idea didn't sound quite as fun. I didn't want to have to kill them. But of course, since then, we've learned you can cut and leave lower branches and they grow back, which is which is pretty wonderful. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And so that's really great. You leave a few and then the tree will grow back. You get the good rootstock. You know, of course, you apologize when you cut it. But, you know, I learned that I tend to want to do things differently than a lot of the traditional systems. I need to go outside of the box. It's part of my DNA. So I learned how to grow in no heat. I was able to grow greens, no heat in the greenhouses. We basically took large, you know, six mil plastic and we created these these still air cavities that were probably two feet deep. And when it was four or five, six degrees outside, the lettuce would freeze inside. But as soon as the temperature came up, it would reactivate. It was fascinating thing. It would flatten right out and then it would come right back. And so we provided um, greens and tomatoes and things to local restaurants for a few years. Uh, the uh, And then, you know, for example, when we'd have an aphid problem in the greenhouse, I just closed the doors for, like, for an hour and it would crank up to 120 and, you know, everybody would be dead, you know, <laughs> except the plants. The plants would be a little haggard. But um, so just finding ways that are really simpler to do that. Um, and uh, it was great, you know, really growing plants in, in a controlled environment in greenhouses where you could still open the top was really fun. We were restoring an old site in Bourne, and uh, we had some wonderful owners that, that were there that we were trying to uh, bring back Twin Gardens, which was a great place. And, um, and the Gasper family had owned it for years. They then had some things change um, in their life, like with their family, where, you know, they thought that, um, you know, their son might actually be, um, you know, in, interested in the property down the road. So they made some changes to, to work with them. And we, we ended up, um, you know, parting ways at that point. But it was a great run for for a long time and the gaspers have been wonderful to the community they've done a lot of things to um, help donate plants seeds for you know for over 30 years and uh, we're really grateful for that what are your thoughts on natural building materials yeah it's always a tough it's always a tough thing because you know i i really like the, the natural resources and stuff but and i also look at there's one house in Bourne that was actually left empty for probably um 30 years nobody was in it and it was aluminum siding and it's the only reason i think the house was saved you know so it is a tough thing i don't like the unnatural services but i am also aware that i think it's important for us to figure out what happens is once the roof's compromised usually two to three years after that the house is gone it's pretty incredible until that point the houses they hold up pretty well you know so tell us about we thrive and its mission 
Well, We Thrive was formed back in uh, 1996, so we're in our 27th year, and I've uh, been involved since the beginning. And We Thrive is essentially a community center. It's the LGBTQ and ally community center of Cape Cod and the islands. And we provide uh, leadership programs for folks ages 22 and under. And we also uh, just come from a, a vision and a mission that sort of combine together. Uh, sounds something like this, that we believe that um, folks from the LGBTQ community are um, extraordinary and meant for having an incredible impact on the people around them in the world. And that when we can provide support and community uh, with peers that's culturally competent, they reach those levels generally. Um, but they get a lot of messages that they might uh, not have that value and worth. So we focus on offsetting that. And it's it's really it's pretty rewarding. We also um, went out and bought a couple more buildings during COVID because we felt like keeping busy and we have been doing shared rentals where folks come in and they are able to share a lease with other folks in the community. And uh, it's a mixture of LGBTQ folks and allies and it's been uh, remarkably successful. Can you talk about the community that you foster at We Thrive and the services that you offer? Sure. There's a lot of data that talks about, you know, matter versus marginalized. Like we know when folks realize that they matter, um, they're healthier and um, and they are able to uh, contribute, like having an opportunity to contribute and a sense of belonging. Um, all those things are, are really important and they're tied through a lot of um, a lot of studies really tied into preventing things like heart disease and depression and all kinds of things. Um, so our programs include, you know, we go out to schools and we support the uh, Gay Straight Alliances, also called Gender Sexuality Alliances. We also uh, reach out to the islands of Martha's Vineyard and Nantucket actively. We do go over for their events. Um, we support them as best as we are able. And we also um, you know, try to really have that strong individual relationship with folks in the community of all ages who are just looking to to connect in and feel, and feel like um, they have community around them. Because it's really easy for all of us, as we know, in Cape Cod to feel isolated at times. It's even more so, I think, if you're from a group that may not have as many numbers in it. Who works with you at We Thrive? And tell us about some of the services that you offer. I sure can. Well, um, Kristen Garcia, she uh, is in charge of marketing and outreach for our program. She actually works remotely from Boston, which is really nice. It gives us a Boston connection. She is also from Falmouth. Um, we also have uh, Jen Crescino, who helps us additionally with outreach and program. Um, I do the program and then also the executive director. Uh, and then we have uh, a small number of folks who are actually, you know, sort of the uh, the population age, so maybe, you know, 14 to 22, somewhere in that range, who are able to, um, you know, do leadership as well, get stipends and do speaking engagements or outreach activities and such. And then we also have a new emerging group, which has been really successful, more so than I even expected. Um, and that's our, uh, our gender continuum group. That is uh, a group for folks about age 5 to 12. So we welcome the family members to come in and uh, and the the individual who may identify on the gender continuum, and they would be able to just come for an hour, an hour and a half, and and sort of chat, meet friends. Uh, what's been interesting is that you know PFLAG does wonderful work in the community, parents and families and friends of LGBTQ folks. Um, this has been just a little bit different because it's sort of the members and and the family or friends, and it's purely social. So it's not really like a meeting format. And uh, we've been able to collaborate with, uh, with PFLAG and also um, with uh, Ann Burke, who um, is a clinician on Cape. She also works with Fenway. Um, but we've been able to work together to, uh, to make that group happen. And it's been really meaningful for the families. I, I didn't realize how much they needed to 
just meet a friend from the neighborhood or someone from a couple towns over to be able to to connect more. Um, you know, being the strong parent of of a young person who's identifying. I use the term uh, gender continuum because I think uh, the term transgender is really just a. It's been used in a lot of um, unfortunate ways recently. You know, um, politically and visibly, and I think the gender continuum just implies. You know, obviously the gender. Um, gender continuum goes further than many of us realize, you know, and for most of us, it's sort of narrow. And for other people, it goes further. It's very simple. <laughs> How did you get involved in this work? So uh, I got involved in this work because when I got out of college, you know, I came out in college and that was back in the uh, very end of the 80s. And uh, I got involved in trying to organize things on the Cape after that. And I realized that we didn't really have a lot. There was Cape Cod LGBTQ Pride, which at the time was called Cape Cod um, gay and lesbian pride, and that was a, a growing organization. So I got involved in that, but I felt like it was always so hard to have events or activities that pulled the community together, um, separate from Provincetown, you know. And so for a lot of years, it was really hard. Um, since then, uh, a lot has happened that's been really positive. There's a lot more happening, but at the time we didn't have much, and so I had the, the vision that maybe we could uh, purchase a building and and actually start a group and maybe get some funding. And so uh, so that's what I did. I had some help from some folks as well, and we had the support of uh, the uh, Cooperative Bank of Cape Cod back in the early days, which was amazing. Also, Cape Cod 5 helped us out uh, a bit at the time. Um, of recent years, we've been working with Eastern Bank a lot and Bank a lot, and they have really been incredible. They're the ones that have really helped us grow the program um, with housing. But uh, that's how I got involved. And I always, uh, I thought I'd, you know, maybe get out of the work after 10 or 15 years. And then um, two things happened. One, a person said to me, she said, you know, I think that those of us that are in this work, some people come and go, but there are those of us that will always be in this work in one form or another. I like that quote. And then um, I was chatting with a good friend of mine from Boston, who was an advisor in Boston. And I said to her, you know, I think it's time for me to maybe move on. This is about maybe 13, 14 years ago, I think I, you know, you need to have someone besides the founder, you know, come in for an organization to grow in a different direction at some point. She said, really? She said, no, I think that's when we get really good. Well, here it is 13, 14 years later, I'm still here. So um, sometimes we need to remember that that one comment that we say to someone when we have a million things going on sometimes can change their entire path and can and help them really like be able to be true and and impactive and work that they might otherwise leave. So uh, Pandora, I just want to thank you for all the uh, podcasts you've done out there in the world. You know, uh, there is a lot going on in the world today and uh, we all know that. And, but what's incredible is that if we really focus on what we can put our hands on and how we can affect the person next to us, but just in that moment, you know, people remember how we make them feel. And I want to thank you for that. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I appreciate that, Scott. We've been speaking with Scott Fitzmaurice, founder and executive director of We Thrive, professional development trainer and personal life coach. You've been listening to Healing Wisdom at Outermost Radio. All of our shows are podcasts at WOMR.org. Also check out HealingWisdomRadioShow.com and contact me at Pandora at WOMR.org. theme music is provided by Mazin. You can find her website at mazinmusic.com. That's M-A-E-S-Y-N 